Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to the Legal One podcast. Today's episode is part of a 12-part series highlighting major U.S. and New Jersey Supreme Court decisions, why they are relevant today, and how the law has evolved since that decision. Today, we are discussing a free appropriate public education, or FAPE, and the standard for testing whether a student was provided a FAPE in accordance with the case of Andrew F. versus Douglas County School District, a 2017 Supreme Court decision. My name is John Worthington. I'm a Legal One consultant. Previously, I had worked with the New Jersey Department of Education and as a Deputy Attorney General for the state of New Jersey. I retired three years ago as State Special Education Director and have been working with Legal One since. Andrew is the seminal case for determining whether a student with disabilities was provided a free appropriate public education. And regardless of where a student resides, it is the case that sets forth the test that's utilized throughout the country. I'm happy to have with me today Gita Vogel. Gita is a consultant with Legal One. Previously, Gita worked as a special ed director and principal, among other positions, serving students with disabilities. Hello, Gita. Hi, John. Hi, Brenda. It's good to be with you both. I've been looking forward to this. And also with me is Brenda Calderon from the New Jersey PTA. Welcome, Brenda, and I'm glad you could join us today. Hi, John. I just want to welcome everybody as well and want to let everybody know that I'm here as a representative for New Jersey PTA. I want to thank all of the participants and also thank New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association in partnering with New Jersey PTA for these invaluable podcasts. Thank you, Brenda. It's great to have you with us today. So as I noted, our topic today is Andrew Webb versus Douglas County School District and a free appropriate public education. Just as a way of background, I want to note that the topic today, what we're talking about is to give a brief background of the case and talk about the law both pre and post pandemic. So now going into the case, Andrew Webb, it's a case from 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court. By way of background, the case started in 2010, actually. Andrew F. is a student from Colorado. He had been from kindergarten through fourth grade attending public schools in his school district, the Douglas County School District in Colorado. In entering fifth grade, his parents looked at the IEP that the district, IEP being the Individualized Education Program, that the district had prepared for their son, looked at the goals and objectives, thought that what was being provided or offered was very much similar to what he had been provided in prior years, and determined that the program was not appropriate for their son. So the parents in this case placed their son in a private school that specialized in children with autism. 
The record reveals that after that placement, the student's behaviors improved, his academic goals and the like were strengthened, and the student was thriving in that private placement. After a time, the parents determined that they wanted to be reimbursed for the cost of the private placement, which parents are entitled to seek through a due process hearing, which is what they did in this case. So they filed for a due process hearing requesting reimbursement from the district. After hearing the case, the hearing officer determined that based on the standard for providing a FAPE in the 10th Circuit where Colorado is located, the parents were unable to prove their case and that he denied them their request for reimbursement. The parents then filed an appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit. Once again, based on the merely more than de minimis standard utilized in that circuit, which is more than trivial or minor educational benefit, the court determined to deny the parents' appeal and held that the parents' child was actually provided a free, appropriate public education. And as a side note, I would note that at that time, Five other Circuit Court of Appeals also used the merely more than de minimis standard when analyzing FAPE claims that were on appeal. The Third Circuit, where we're located, did use a higher standard than the other circuits that were at issue here. So the parents, after losing at all those levels, determined to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they did so. And in 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a decision in the case with respect to what constitutes a FAPE or free appropriate public education. As a background matter, note that the Supreme Court had originally looked at this issue in 1982 in a Raleigh case, and they had talked about how an educational program has to be reasonably calculated to enable the child to achieve educational benefits. What they didn't do, though, in Raleigh is provide a test for determining whether a child was actually provided a FAPE. So what the Supreme Court in Endra did was actually add a test to its earlier decision in the Raleigh case. The most important language in the case is the holding of the court that a IEP must be reasonably calculated to enable a child to make progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. And it's important to note that last part, in light of the child's circumstances, an IEP is an individualized education program. So it always has to be an individual determination. The court wasn't able to say this is the test. All autistic kids will receive the same program or all students with a disability will receive the following services. It's individualized based on the student's levels and needs. And so the court went on to say as an important component of the test that a district staff in order to show that they've provided a FAPE and an IEP has to be able to offer a cogent and responsive explanation for their decision that shows the IEP is reasonably calculated to enable the child to make progress appropriate in light of this child's circumstances. So you not only have to, it not only has to be reasonably calculated to provide appropriate progress in light of the circumstances, you have to be able to explain why the IEP is reasonably calculated to do so. That new standard, the reasonably calculated and the ability to provide a reasonable and cogent explanation is now the test that is utilized when determining whether a student is provided a FAPE in any litigation that ensues. So now, after taking a look at the Andrew case, there's a couple of questions that come up when looking at this new test and this new standard for determining whether a student was provided a FAPE. The first thing you have to look at is what is the standard for providing a free appropriate public education or FAPE under the IDEA? And so under the idea, when they look at FAPE in the legislation, they talk about specially designed instruction that meets the unique needs of the student with a disability, is provided in accordance with the standards of the SEA, or State Educational Agency, 
And that's important. Remember, there is no national education standards. Each state sets its standards. So in this case, it would be provided in accordance with the NJSLS or New Jersey Student Learning Standards. It has to include preschool, elementary school, and secondary levels of education in the state. And most importantly, it has to be provided in accordance with the student's individualized education program. That, in conjunction with the Andrew test, is what you're looking at when determining what a FAPE is for an individual student. And remember, it always has to be in the context of, is it appropriately ambitious? So you have to look at the Andrew standard. You have to create challenging goals, challenging objectives to measure the progress of a student. And is it reasonably calculated to provide appropriate progress is what you're looking at when you're looking at a FAPE. The thing that's changed now over the past year plus is what is the standard for providing a free appropriate public education under the IDA during a pandemic when we're basically operating our schools in a variety of ways. At the end of last school year, every district was operating virtually. This current school year, there are virtual models, hybrid models, some districts are in person, parents can opt for an all virtual education. And so there are a lot of modalities for providing an education, and that's going to change the analysis of what is a FAPE during the 2020-2021 school year, and perhaps even going forward. I think the key piece of this question when you're looking at FAPE during the pandemic is the guidance from the New Jersey Department of Education and the U.S. Department of Education. Both have indicated that students during the pandemic have to be educated to the greatest extent possible or language to that effect from each department. So both are recognizing that the standard for how you assess how all students, not just students with disability, this is all students, are educated during the pandemic is educating them to the greatest extent possible in light of the circumstances during the pandemic, how you're operating your districts, the states of emergency that might be issued by the governor, the various orders that the governor has issued. You have to assess in that context how you're educating the schools. There has been no clear directive from either Department of Education saying this is how you will measure FAPE. They talk about the greatest extent possible. So you still have to look, the Ender standard still applicable. So you're still going to educate the same way. The difference is you now have to analyze it in the context of Andrew and look at how was the student educated in relation to how we were running our schools during the pandemic. And so there's a couple different things that you're going to have to look at. So a couple different points that you have to look at when assessing FAPE during the pandemic. One is going to be the guidance from both departments of education did make it clear if a student's not accessing an education. So in the beginning of the pandemic, if there was issues with students not having computers, not having internet connectivity and the like, student perhaps deaf of hard of hearing with communication issues, if you can't access the education and it's virtual or hybrid or however you're providing it, that is going to be a denial of a FAPE if they can't be educated at all. So that is not looking at greatest extent possible. If you're not receiving any education, that is one area where it's clear there was going to be or is going to be considered a denial of a FAPE in that situation. Throughout the pandemic, in most districts, perhaps not all, but certainly in the beginning, less hours of instruction were provided. Related services now may be provided virtually. They weren't allowed to be provided that way in the past. 
probably less hours of related services have been provided to most students. You have to look at that in the context of the greatest extent possible guidance from the department and assess essentially based on how schools were being run, was the student denied a FAPE during the pandemic? It's not a simple question to answer. It's not an automatic no if you received less services than you were receiving pre-pandemic. If the IEP in place when the pandemic hit called for a certain level of instruction and services, but you received less, it's not going to automatically be a determination that you were denied a FAPE. We're going to talk in a little bit about compensatory services and how to analyze that. But essentially, these are going to be IEP team decisions initially, where the team, which includes the parent, is going to have to meet and assess how the student was educated, look at the goals and objective, how much progress was made, was it enough progress, was it appropriate? You're going to have to analyze those issues, make a determination, was the student provided a FAPE, do they need additional support services and the like going forward? It's going to be an individual individual analysis for every student, something that can occur at the annual IEP meeting, but it can also occur at other meetings. You don't have to wait for the annual IEP meeting. You could have a meeting sooner. And remember, during the pandemic, you're allowed to have meetings virtually. So you certainly, you should be working, parents and districts should be working together, keeping data, communicating, like I said, with regard to goals and objectives and progress that's made. You're going to have to have a discussion then and determine how did the student do and how are they continuing to do during the pandemic. Districts are still operating using hybrid and other methods. So you got to keep looking at those issues and then make determinations about whether a FAPE was provided. And then, as I said, we'll talk a little bit about compensatory services. But at this point, I would like to ask Gita, when we're talking about the pandemic and providing a FAPE, how would you suggest parents and districts go about making sure they continue, probably even more so, having those discussions about what they're observing? Because now, remember, parents are observing things at home, perhaps where the student's being educated. How would you look at this and FAPE during the pandemic, these points? I would say one of the first things you have to be concerned with is patience. Nothing is happening the way it did in the brick and mortar environment when it was almost exclusively brick and mortar. And I say exclusively because there were kids with learning needs that sometimes we had to make exceptions and create the electronic learning environment, but that would have been temporary. For the pandemic that we're in, to understand what's involved, observation, the power of observation, the power of collecting information. Sometimes the learning environment is a computer in a den. Sometimes it's Monday getting on the school bus and doing a hybrid, getting used to what is a modified schedule for the student. The expectations of learning in person aren't always the same as the expectations and the procedure for learning through an electronic environment. Then when you have to combine the two, it expects a lot as far as the student's ability to accommodate the differences. So I would say with respect to the pandemic, Let's not look for rapid changes. Let's look for adjustment, first of all. And I know since we're approaching the end of the school year, pandemic is in the past. We need to understand what we've learned from the pandemic learning, as I refer to it. Extremely vital that students' observations be taken into account. What worked, what didn't work? Is there a method that you see that works better for you, for example, what I'm talking about, is it easier for you to learn in a singular environment where there are no distractions? 
does a distraction in a classroom interfere with how you learn? And is there a way we can bridge the gap for both to happen? And I say that because also what I haven't discussed was extremely important is the mental health issue. Kids need an environment in which they can learn, but they need the socialization, which to test out what they've learned and for their development socially, mentally, physically, and morally as they go through school. So Gita, from a director's perspective, what issues do you see with respect to providing a FAPE in the LRE during the pandemic? What I see is expectations of growth and change need to be tailored to the environment, the various environments that you explain that can exist in every district and no doubt do. Rapid changes in the land of schools, what starts out as a child attending four days a week may change due to the nature of the virus. So if the virus invades the schools, then they may go all virtual. So you have changed the environment once again. It becomes a rapid change for a child and trying to settle in the beginning requires one kind of management, self-management. However, if you change the type of environment you're in, your comfort zone may go with it. So the adjustment is something that is rapid and requires individual self-management that can impact how you measure growth in the goals and objectives that you've provided. Judging, measuring may include looking at snippets of change and learning and reinforcing them and applying them to new schools. They don't have to be grand. They don't have to be big. But skill building is something that requires staging. And in particular, during the pandemic, it's important to look at that process. Perhaps even more so, we have to emphasize the more highly individualized route to learning and take powerful observations of teachers, understanding measurement that may be very different, the coordination of the teams involved, the principal, as I said, is key to this, the child, the parent, are all partners. The point you just made raises one final area that I did want to get a chance to talk about today. You're talking about growth and measurement, which ties into another issue. I think we'll probably end up doing a podcast with regard to this, compensatory services. You hear a lot about this issue today. That's totally tied into the issue of did you receive a FAPE? If you didn't receive a FAPE, then you're going to be entitled to compensatory services. And that's the at its essence what compensatory services are in special education. You look at a student with a disability, whatever the time period you're measuring, did they receive their free appropriate public education during that time period? In this case, looking at the pandemic most specifically, and if not, if it's concluded you did not receive a FAPE during that time period, you're going to be entitled to compensatory services. That could be additional instruction, extra related services and supports. It will be individualized for each student. One important point to make here though is there was guidance issued by the New Jersey Department of Education on March 3rd, 2021, talking about this issue. And a couple of points that the department made are worth stressing when you're looking at FAPE and its impact on compensatory education during the pandemic and going forward. Uh, the first point is that the department made it very clear that 
because districts were running differently, maybe providing less hours of instruction, less related services, there is no one-to-one -one ratio for providing compensatory services. So every hour of instruction need not be made up, nor does every hour of missed related services need to be made up. What does have to happen is that the IEP team needs to meet with regard to each student and make an individual determination as to whether compensatory services are appropriate. So certainly the amount of services provided how they were provided, where they were provided. All of those are going to be factors, but the state made it clear it's going to be an IEP team decision. The parent is part of that team decision. It should occur at the next IEP meeting, the annual review meetings. You can hold a special meeting if you choose to. I noted earlier, you can hold the meetings virtually. Once you've had the meeting, made a determination of whether a FAPE was provided and thus whether compensatory services should be provided. If you need to provide compensatory services, make sure you prepare a written document. Whether you're amending the IEP or another document, make sure you set forth what those services are going to be. You need to, if it's in an IEP, say this is the program that's going to provide the FAPE going forward. These are the compensatory services we're providing. Make sure that's clearly delineated so you know what's current FAPE and what's going to be the compensatory services going forward. And now, Gita, do you see any issues with regard to providing a FAPE going forward while also providing compensatory services when determined necessary for a student? I don't want to borrow trouble, John. And what I feel is that we need patience, we need planning, we need the partnerships, and the other P word, which isn't typically associated with a discussion of this kind, is privilege. And I say privilege because New Jersey is a phenomenal state with respect to its understanding, the needs of students with disabilities, and all of the governance in place with respect to providing programs that will make a difference. Kids are resilient. Let's look at the kids, how sort out what have they learned, and let's make it an effort so that everyone is involved. Parents, what do you see? School districts, what do you see? Above all, include the students before we ever jump on the compensatory bandwagon. As you say, it can't be hour for hour. It has to be according to need. Kids aren't to blame for this pandemic. Let's give them something positive, which is my other P word to think about, and that is the growth that they've made and where they are going from here. We can only do that as a team. Well, now, Gady, you made a good point. You, you mentioned parents. What do you see? I, I'd like to turn to Brenda. I have a couple of questions that are coming up from parents. We want to get your perspective with regard to a couple of these questions. Is my child entitled to a FAPE during COVID? Yeah, so John, you had touched on this topic earlier, and FAPE is required under IDEA and its regulations. So the pandemic has no bearing on whether your child is entitled to a free appropriate public education. The school districts must deliver special education and related services in accordance with your child's IEP or 504 plan. Now, according to US Department of Education's guidance, at the beginning of the pandemic, school districts should provide your child's special education services to the greatest extent possible, which you also had touched on earlier. But in answer to this question, yes, your child is entitled to FAPE during COVID. Now, another question we were talking about that we've been hearing from parents is worded along these lines of, I've not heard from my local school district with regard to making up services owed my child since his remote learning began. 
Can you tell me what steps I should take to find out what my child is entitled to receive? And so from a PTA perspective, how would you answer that question for parents? I think first and foremost, my recommendation is to contact the child study team at your child's school. Try to set up an IEP meeting. I mean, if your child's annual IEP meeting is not scheduled to take place within like the next month or so, you probably want to request an IEP meeting so that it's scheduled within a reasonable amount of time. And right now, I'm sure that child study teams are overwhelmed with requests, so the sooner the better. You might as well call them and get that in and schedule the IEP meeting because it may be weeks before you're able to schedule that meeting. Due to COVID-19 and virtual classes, your child is probably or maybe not getting all the services that are stated in his or her IEP. For instance, if your child was to receive 120 minutes a week of speech, but only receive 30 or 60 minutes, then your child should receive makeup time or what is termed compensatory services, which we also touched on that topic as well. Some school districts are using a database program to keep track of services that are owed to each individual child. But you as the parent should keep a record as well as to what services have not been met under your child's IEP. I always recommend that to parents. It's always a good idea to go into an IEP meeting prepared. Documentation is the best preparation I would assume that you or a caretaker is with your child during the virtual classes. So you are getting a sense of what they are, you know, receiving and what services they are receiving. So definitely, if you haven't started doing that, start now. And you can discuss all of this in the IEP meeting. And that's an excellent point you make with regard to keeping data, taking notes. I would say that point applies equally well to school district staff. More than ever, it's important to document what you're doing, keep communicating with parents. It's very important to document that what's happening, to keep notes, keep records of everything that's been provided. And now, Brenda, what would you say to a parent when they're talking about their child had a difficult time with virtual learning? They may have received some benefit, but they've shown regression the parents are seeing, and they want to know, are they going to make up those services? And I know, again, it ties into the compensatory services issue. Do you have additional points that you would make for parents with regard to that? Yes, so compensatory services do not only mean makeup services, they also include services which did not provide any benefit to your child. So let's say your child was receiving services, but they're having difficulty, like you said, on virtual learning or remote learning, and they're experiencing this regression. So I had stated earlier that it's always a good idea as the parent to document everything, regressions, progressions, whatever the case may be. And you're the best resource for describing what your child is experiencing during virtual learning. I've had many parents tell me that their child at the beginning, they hadn't created a structured setting. Now they've learned to create that structured setting. So now their child is progressing. However, at the beginning there was regression. So we're talking about two months into it. So now Because they documented it, when they go into their IEP meeting, they can say, well, look, this is what's working for my child, and this didn't work. So now we're on the right path in this area, but we're not on a good path in this area. You know, how can we make up for this? If you haven't kept a record this far, I would recommend that 
you take the daily reports that maybe the teacher has given you. And most of the time they'll give you either a daily report or a weekly report. Take those daily reports, go back, take last year's calendar, go through each month, document it in each day, and then see what you come up with and see what, if you have a record, see how that compares. This way, when you go into the meeting, you will have all of this. And you can also ask the child study team to provide what they have on services. And I think that this is the, the best recommendation. Be prepared. Any backup you have is always the best way to walk into an IEP meeting. Well, thank you, Brenda. All excellent points. Is there anything else you'd like to add? We're going to be wrapping up our podcast. I want to thank you again for joining Gita and me today. Um, but Brenda or Gita, is there anything else you want to say before we thank everyone and end our podcast? Well, I did want to say that, you know, what Gita was saying is patience. As a special ed parent, I know how important that is. I would always tell them it's very important to remember that you have to walk into a meeting you have to be patient. You have to hear what they're telling you. Of course, there will be times where you're, you know, the advocating, you know, you'll get a little bit more anxious and you want to make your points. But overall, with this pandemic, everybody's facing challenges. Child study teams are facing challenges. The education system as a whole is facing challenges. And like Gita said, just be patient. Eventually, I think everything will come into fruition and your child's services will be made up. You will see progression with your child. Everybody's working on the same common goal. A good positive point to end our podcast on. So for more detailed information on this and other school law topics, you should go to the Legal One website, where you will find comprehensive webinars, trainings, courses, and resources on a vast array of school law topics that can provide the detailed information you are seeking. Information can also be found on prior Legal One podcasts. Our website is www.njpsa.org slash Legal One NJ. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you on future Legal One podcasts. Be well and stay safe. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.